Mormonism 101, a book by Mormonism Research Ministries, Bill McKeever and Eric Johnson, has helped many who want to understand what separates Mormonism from the Christian faith. Mormonism 101 is available at your favorite Christian bookstore or online at mrm.org. Viewpoint on Mormonism, the program that examines the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from a biblical perspective. Viewpoint on Mormonism is sponsored by Mormonism Research Ministry. Since 1979, Mormonism Research Ministry has been dedicated to equipping the body of Christ with answers regarding the Christian faith in a manner that expresses gentleness and respect. And now, your host for today's Viewpoint on Mormonism. Hoping you're having a very pleasant Friday. Welcome to this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry. And with me today is Eric Johnson, my colleague at MRM. Today we wrap up our look at an article in the February 2022 edition of Leahona Magazine. An article that begins on page U2 in the United States and Canada section, written by Primary General President Camille N. Johnson. It is titled Practicing Perfection. She uses that word practicing throughout this entire article, and I'll just give you the context of what she means by it. For the last 30 plus years, I've been practicing law. I think there is a reason they refer to it as the practice of law. And then she talks about how she's never done anything perfectly, but she is practicing. Well, she ends her article Underneath the section, the Savior makes perfection possible, where she says, we are practicing perfection to return to our heavenly home, and the Savior, whose grace makes eternal perfection possible, gives us opportunities to practice. Eric, would you agree that if ever there is an admission that a person's personal effort is necessary for what Latter-day Saints would call their individual salvation. This is the admission. We are practicing perfection to return to our heavenly home. In other words, there is a synergism in LDS theology. They do certain things, and God does certain things, and both have to meet those demands of that particular covenant if the Latter-day Saint hopes to get to that heavenly home. This is not what the New Testament teaches, and we're going to be looking right now at Hebrews chapter 10. And the reason why I think Hebrews 10 is so important in this context, because it makes it clear that our salvation is not based on a synergism, that we do so much and God does so much. We believe that Jesus is enough, and Hebrews chapter 10, I think, makes that very clear. What does the writer of Hebrews say in Hebrews 10.1? For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered. For the worshipers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. For it is not possible that the blood of bull and goats could take away sins. So that raises, I think, an obvious question. Then why were they doing that? They were supposed to be believing in what that sacrifice represented, that there was a penalty for their sin. Once the worshiper, the Old Testament worshiper, sacrificed animals without that thought in mind, it didn't mean anything any longer. And this is why oftentimes you see in the Old Testament where God tells 
Israel. I'm not pleased with your sacrifices. It doesn't really mean anything to you. Anybody can go through a routine, but that's not what forgives you of your sins. And this is what I think the writer of Hebrews is trying to get across. Then the writer goes on to cite from Psalm 40, verses 6 through 8. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the volume of the book it is written to me to do your will, O God. To do your will, O God. Notice, this is speaking of Jesus himself, the incarnate Christ, who comes in a body who will eventually, at the end of his life, offer himself as a sacrifice for our sins. He will do God's will. To do your will, O God. You see, when Camille Johnson talks about practicing perfection, it's an imperfect perfection at best. And I know that sounds like an oxymoron, but really, that's what it is. She might think she's practicing perfection, but she's practicing it with imperfection, and she's admitting it in this article. Jesus came to do God's will, and he does it perfectly by every understanding of that word. And this is why we can sometimes kid with people and say, yeah, we believe we're saved by works. It's just not our works. They are the works of Jesus himself. And what does it say in verse 8? Previously saying, sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin you did not desire, nor had the pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. By that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Now, if that's the case, what is it that Latter-day Saints are offering? They're offering their commandment-keeping in order to get the forgiveness of their sins. That's not what the writer of Hebrews is saying. No, he's saying it was through Jesus who offered himself in his body once for all. When a Latter-day Saint is offering his or her works, the Bible says in Isaiah 64, 6, that the most righteous of all works are like filthy rags in God's sight. So the works that we do are tainted, and they're not going to be acceptable on the altar as the sacrifice that was made by Jesus. And one of the reasons why I think we could apply what is told to us here, that God has no pleasure in those kind of sacrifices— Because if a Latter-day Saint is doing that sacrifice of commandment-keeping, they're doing it for a selfish reason. They're doing it in order to get something for themselves. It's tainted right there. It's disqualified. So I think it still applies. The rule still applies here. But then goes on to verse 11, and this is really where I think the kicker of Hebrews 10 comes into play. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God from that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. For by one offering, 
the offering of himself, he, Jesus, has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. So if that is a fact, and that is what has happened through the sacrifice of Christ, why would Camille Johnson be saying, we are practicing perfection to return to our heavenly home? Obviously, Camille Johnson, as unfortunately just about every member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, is saying that what Jesus did was not enough to purchase their exaltation in this context. Not their general salvation, according to Mormonism, but their exaltation, their personal salvation. They are practicing this imperfect perfection, quote-unquote, in order to return to their heavenly home. The writer of Hebrews makes it very clear, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, forever sat down at the right hand of God, from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. And then verse 14, and I love that passage, for by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Now you might say, Well, aren't Latter-day Saints, by doing all these things, practicing what they understand to be sanctification? No, not really. They believe that's practicing justification. They have to do that in order to be justified in the eyes of God. So I would say verse 14 is not applied to members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. They're practicing moralism, not true sanctification, because we want to live a holy life because we already recognize that we are justified by the work of Christ on the cross at Calvary, by our faith. I love what Bible commentator Simon Kistemacher says in his commentary on the book of Hebrews. He says, the sacrifice of Christ, unique in itself, brought about holiness for the believer. That is, every believer receives these benefits of Christ's sacrifice on the cross. His sins are forgiven. His conscience is cleansed. He has peace with God, assurance of salvation, and the gift of eternal life. Christ has perfected the believer forever. Notice in verse 11, every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices. But what happens in verse 12? This man, who's referring to Jesus, sits down at the right hand of God. The work is finished. That's what Jesus said on the cross. It is finished. And unfortunately, Mormonism doesn't teach this. It teaches that the work continues on through what you call commandment keeping, doing. You have all these rules and regulations, and you can never know what 1 John 5.13 says, that you know you have eternal life. And this is why I think it makes us so sad, Bill, because Latter-day Saints are trying their hardest they're like the hamster in the wheel going round and round and round and never being able to satisfy the longing of knowing that their sins are forgiven. But here's what's amazing in this chapter, where the writer goes on to say, but the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us, for after he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and into their minds. I will write them. Then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. 
Now, where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. There's no need to do commandments in order to hope that your sins are going to be forgiven. And I'm not making that up. Just go look at section 1, verse 32 in the Doctrine and Covenants. There is a formula there. In order to get forgiveness, you must repent, keep the commandments, then you are forgiven. The covenant that's mentioned here in Hebrews 10 is not like that at all. It says, this is the covenant that I will make with them. He's going to take away our sins, our lawless deeds, and he will remember them no more. Is that the God of Mormonism? Does he forget past sins of the Latter-day Saint? Not according to the LDS leaders and according to their scriptures, but the Bible teaches that as far as the East is from the West, that's how far away our sins are. When God forgives them, they're forgiven past, present, and future. But yet in section 82, verse 7 of the Doctrine and Covenants, it says very clearly that if you ask for forgiveness, it says that God will forgive you. But if you repeat that sin, your former sins return. Now, how can that be the same covenant when the Jesus of this passage says, your lawless deeds I will remember no more. Obviously, the God of Mormonism is remembering the past deeds of the Latter-day Saint should they mess up and commit a sin a second time. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information regarding Mormonism Research Ministry, we encourage you to visit our website at www.mrm.org, where you can request our free newsletter, Mormonism Researched. We hope you will join us again as we look at another viewpoint on Mormonism.